Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us the internal evidences of God, our conscience, and the implanted God consciousness. Today we'll continue to see the external evidences of God and how these also make man guilty before God without excuse. Turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And I would like to read from verse number 18 down to verse number 20 of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now under the law, you only need two witnesses, two credible witnesses. And what Paul has now laid, he's prosecuting this case that man is guilty before God and there's no excuse for man's unrighteousness and man's un- ungodliness. No excuse. So Paul said, witness number one, come sir. Conscience, witness against that man. And then Paul says, implanted God consciousness, it is there. The evidence leads us to one conclusion, that on the basis of those two witnesses, credible witnesses, they will not compromise, you can't bribe them. You can't let the case be brought and then have the lawyer uh, be out of the island and have it postponed and adjourned. These are witnesses that that are in you yourself. So when Paul prosecutes his case before you, every one of us here this morning must say guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. But the Apostle Paul... While he has successfully brought these two witnesses to prosecute the case, he now wants to augment the case. And he does that by bringing a third witness. What we call the external witness against man. Look at verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are what? Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? Without excuse. So Paul argues that man has this internal knowledge of God. But then Paul now shifts and says, in addition to this internal knowledge of God, there is also this external witness that man also has. 
And what a tremendous statement that is that Paul gives in verse number 20. Theologians call this the cosmological argument for God. Theologians always like to come up with fancy names. They like jargon. <laughs> it sounds so intellectual, so smart, so cute. See? But all Paul is saying, saying here, and they're saying, that, listen, when you look at creation, you notice a God. Theologians say cosmo, cosmological argument. See? Cosmos, the world, the ordered world, logos, study. Boy, we become Grecianized. How oh, we love the Greeks. Now the logic and the argument is simple. And what Paul is here saying that when you look at the magnitude and the magnificence of creation, it posits that a creator exists. Now by the way, when I was in school, I did a lot of uh, geometry and there were certain things called theorems and they were called certain things were axiomatic not a fancy word boy but when something was axiomatic it means that it was just as it is there was no need for arguing no need to giving reasons it is just axiomatic it, it, it's just there are some things that are just right there are some things that are self-evident you don't need any proof for example every triangle has three sides now you can you can argue with me from now until you the, the, the Lord comes back. But every triangle has as long as a triangle, I know what it has. It's axiomatic truth. I don't have to prove it. It is self-evident proof. Every pentagon has how many sides? Five sides, not six, seven, or eight. Five sides. That is called axiomatic truth. Here's another one. Every house has a builder. Uh, Paul argued that in the book of Hebrews, by the way. Book of Hebrews. Every house has a builder. This building had a builder. Now I can rant and rave and I can argue with you and I can shout and I can use all kinds of fancy terms and I can tell you it just happened. One day we came here and bam, this building just happened. The windows just happened. The doors just happened. The ceiling, the lights just happened. We just, they just dropped down from heaven. Now there's not an ignoramus in here that would believe that. But could I give you a secret? Our universe, this is minuscule in complexity with the universe that we are in. Can I give you another secret? The greatest and largest computer in the world is not as complex as one single cell in your body. The information that they have in there. Somebody told me it's like the, the Encyclopedia Britannica, all that information is in there. How do they get there? And it's not information that is random. It's in an order, a sequence. Now you tell me today, any sensible person looking at what is, and the kind of knowledge we, by the way, Darwinian theory is infantile and puerile pseudoscience. It before men really understood about the complexity of the cell. Darwin was a boy in science when he came up with his theory. It is not science, it's pseudoscientism. That's what it is. See. The argument that Paul is making here. It's very simple. The external world as we see it 
the vast magnificent complexity of it is empirical evidence and there's another fancy word scientists say we, we want proof we want physical proof we, we want substantial proof well you want it it's all there sir all there can you make a blade of a grass sir with all your intelligence and all your sense can you make the blade of a grass not even a single blade of a grass he can make it baffles me that we have entered the realm of idiocy where people in order to be thought smart embrace evolution baffles me it goes against everything my instincts tell me and everything my mind tells me the point Paul is making here there's external evidence and every machine has a designer could I say something? Everything that has an end has a what? A beginning. And you know the laws of thermodynamics. What do those laws say? That everything is what? Running down. So somebody wound it up first. Even scientific law. It was wound up and now it's running down. They know it's running down. They know it's not eternal. And if it has an end, it has a beginning. Somebody had to wound it up. And there, when you find ordered sequential information, you also think of what? Intelligence. Intelligence. And every cause is always greater than the effect. What we have is the world. The cause that caused the world is greater than the world itself. See? That is the proof that Paul is saying here. It is everywhere Paul is saying. God has not only given you an internal witness of your implanted God consciousness. An innate conscience. But Paul is saying God has also given you external evidence. The created order is there. See? And I want to believe that this, this argument that Paul gives about creation. It, it gives evidence everywhere of a powerful, intelligent, creative being. And could I say this? Everywhere you go, you see the finger of God. When you go into the Sistine Chapel and you see the works of Michelangelo Raphael, there are certain distinctive marks that they can say, that's a Michelangelo, that's a Raphael. See? They know it. See? And when you look at the what is, you know one thing, something greater than what is made this all. See? Far more intelligent. This is the argument that Paul is using here. And so God has revealed in creation uh, and the magnitude of what is created, the order in, uh, that we have, the arrangement that we see, the miniaturization that we witness in creation. You know, I am baffled. I, I, I remember one time I went to a conference and a guy held up a little flash drive. At the time, I didn't even know what a flash drive was. And then he said that, all these, he, he listed all, uh, Bibles and commentaries and he, he listed all these. And I said, but wait, I, I didn't tell him at the time, but I, I really, how in the world all of that is in there? All the encyclopedia botanicas on there, you can do it yourself. No man can do that. Man with his puny brain can do that. And then how can we ever conceive that this just all happened? That is why Paul said what? They are what? Without excuse. The evidence. 
is so formidable that man has to come to one conclusion that there is a creator and there is an intelligent designer and is one that is far greater than what the effects was, the cause, the first cause. See? This is the reality of what Paul is saying. Now, by the way, this is not just an argument that Paul uses, you know. As a matter of fact, if you go into the Psalms, like Psalms 147, you'll find that David, David argues strongly the same thing. Declare what? The glory of God. Now, he didn't have any microscope, you know. He just looked up to the heavens and he's, he's amazed. Now, we got all kinds of telescopes. We have more information than he has. But it's a man that looked through the microscope and said, I can't see God. I can't see God. See? So they say they're atheists. <laughs> I'll come to that shortly. But the point uh, in Acts chapter 14, when Paul is dealing with the pagans at Lystra, his argument, when he argues about God, he argues from the point of creation. He sent his son and he sent his rain. See? And he feeds you. He's telling the pagans that, you know, it just didn't happen. We'll come to that shortly. That is something called providence. That the God who created his creature also provides for his creature. And then when you come to Job chapter 37, Job chapter 38, when Job begins to argue with those who were condemning him and saying that this would not have happened to you, sir, except you've been a great sinner. And so they accused the fact that Job was going through suffering which he could not understand. And the only conclusion they came to is, you will not have been suffering if you didn't commit some great sin. All of them argue that. And of course, it gets to you after a while. And Job makes a statement one day, he said, you know, if I can get before God, I would argue my case. I wish he would come down so I can argue. God said, you want to argue your case? All right, I come down and let's talk. Read the chapters. And God started asking Job some questions. Where were you? Where were you? When I put the earth in its balances. And I put the oceans in my hands. Where were you when I put that delicate balance together? Where were you? Where were you when I put the leviathans? The people the dinosaurs. Where were you? Who gives the birds the information when to migrate? When to go to one place and another. Who sends the salmon up the river to spawn and produce eggs and then go back down to the sea? Who gives? God asks you, can you answer the question? ABC test, Job. And Job said, I repent. And I asked him, I said, I put my hand to my mouth, basically. I can't believe it. See? But the point I'm making here is that Job himself, in answering, he goes back to creation. To demonstrate the supremacy of God in terms of the universe. Now I intend at some former day to do a series on the scientific proof for the existence of God. Uh, I have downloaded, uh, maybe, but don't want to exaggerate. I think about five or six different books and evidences I've downloaded recently. Let me share some interesting facts about this, this matter. I, I hope you realize that we are living in a very delicate, fine-tuned universe. It's a marvelous balance in the world that we live in. There's meticulous calibration of relationships between forces. See? There is a 
a fine-tuning that is there that even baffles the scientists. And the slightest modification of this balance would result in complete chaos on planet Earth. Let me give you two things that uh, recently I picked up at the micro level for just a moment. Take the ratio of the electrons to protons in the atom. Not only the number of electrons to protons, but the weight of the protons to the neutrons in the atom. Now, those of you who know elementary science, you know what I'm talking about. Now, here's what the scientists tell, tell us. He said that these things are so precariously balanced in terms of forces between these things. That if the ratio deviates more than 1 to 10 over 37. Did you hear what I said? 1 to 10 over 37. If it deviates by that, the universe as we know it could not exist. Now, these things baffle me. When I tell you, I, I, these figures, these are beyond my, my, my puny little brain. But imagine I put a, a 1 there, and then I put 37 zeros after it. They tell me that if the forces in the atom varied by that amount, that marginal amount, Earth would not exist, the world would not exist. And then these same scientists turn around and tell me, it just happened. Look, I thank God I was not born a fool. I'm not a fool. I will never be a fool. If you want to be one, you'll be one. You'll be one if you want to be one. God gave me something called intelligence. And I'm not going to sell my intelligence for some stupid scientist who want to mislead me. The evidence is irrefutable. But here's another one. They talk about the force between gravity and what is called the electromagnetic force around the world. Most of you know that if you have a compass, it always moves. It moves to the north, basically. But the reason why that happens is because of the magnetic force that surrounds. But there's also something called the force of gravity. In other words, uh, the, the, the sun and the moon, there's a gravitational pull. The, the, the moon and the earth, there's a gravitational pull. They react on each other. And the force has to be so balanced for it to continue. Now listen to this. I'm told that the ratio between the electromagnetic force and the gravity, I'm told that if that force was to be altered, 10 by 40 over 10, the world as we know it would not exist. Again, put a 1 there and put 40 zeros. If it varied by that amount, the world as we know. And by the way, this is not, I'm not going into the Bible and finding this. The Bible is not a scientific book that gives me those kind of minute details. I'm telling you what the scientists themselves are. I'm using their evidence against them. See, how smart they are. But here's something else I would like to share with you for just a moment. We live in a galaxy called the what? Milky Way. Now, could I say something that uh, would stagger you? Within this galaxy called the Milky Way, they tell me there are a, a one billion stars. I, I don't even know what a billion is. I mean, I can't conceive a billion. But here is what staggers me. The distance from Earth to the nearest star is 4.3 light years. 
The nearest star to earth is 4.3 light years. You know what that means? A light year is how much the speed of light travels within one second. Okay. It is 186,000 miles per second. Now, you know what you're going to do with that? You've got to multiply 186,000 by 4.3, by 60, by 60, by 24, and then by 365 to get how far that is. Now, by the time you finish that, you put away the calculator. <laughs> but that's the shortest distance between stars. And then the Milky Way got a billion stars. But between them is 3.6, 3.5 light years between them. You understand how vast this universe is? But then I got something that hit me even harder. I could hardly comprehend that. A billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. The closest star is 3.6 light years away. And then they turn around and tell me there are billion galaxies like our galaxy. Whew. Oh man, it's too much information for me. Now you understand why David looked at the heavens and said, the heavens declared the glory of God. And then you understand why he said, what is man that you're mindful of him? He's odd. But remember, he didn't have a a telescope. You've been to secondary school. Some of you have been to university. You're pretty smart. Could I tell you something that you need to know? Little David, who never went to primary school... Never went to secondary school. Never attended university. That same David would stand up in the day of judgment and say, you're guilty. You know far more than I know. But what little bit I knew, I say to you, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that little granny that didn't even go to school, she too will stand up and say, yes, it's marvelous. I can see it everywhere. Paul says that they are what? Without Excuse. The world around us shows us an all-powerful, intelligent creator and designer. And there is nothing modern science has discovered or produced which in any way invalidates that claim. Nothing. My thing to you is to tell you this. You have two very simple options, you know. Here's your options. You can believe by faith. That this whole creation is just an accident. It just happened by chance. You can believe that by faith and that it has no purpose. And by the way, when you believe evolution, that's what it is. It's a belief of faith. It cannot be proven. Nobody can repeat the experiment. Nobody can go back and say, let's, let's prove that what they're saying is true. It's just based on pure, pure hypothesis. And you have to accept that by faith. The scientist who wasn't there, who don't know a thing, is telling you this is what happened. And they argue so strongly that you're baffled that people can be so arrogant. Listen, what I'm saying to you is a matter of faith. You've got to believe what they tell you. They can't prove it to you. They can't show you by experimentation. And that's what, by the way, that's what science is. Science is. Evolution, I mean, evolution is not science. It is Theoretical speculation. That's all it is. It's not science. Science is something that you can repeat. See? And observe. See? But if you can't repeat it, you can't observe it. It's not science. It's fiction. 
So what you do, you accept these things by what? Faith. Now here's the other thing. So here you can believe by faith that is all accident, happened by chance, without any purpose whatsoever. And in doing so, you are saying that intelligence came from non-intelligence. You are saying that personality sprung from non-personal chemicals. You are saying that life developed from non-life. And you are saying that something came from nothing. What a big fool you are. Make no pause for that. You are, sir. You are, madam. If you are an atheist this morning, if you are evolutionist this morning, if you are Darwinist this morning, I have one word for you. You are a fool. If that rubs you the wrong way, you are a fool. If that rubs you the wrong way, you are a big, big fool. Maybe that will get through. And by the way, I'm just delivering the message that the master said. It's not me that said that, you know. I'm just telling you what God said about you. So if, you, if you're offended that I tell you that, go in your Bible and see that he told you that long before I told you. And what's my answer? Deliver the message, sir. That's all I'm doing this morning. Delivering the message. See. So there's a superior option. You can believe this fictitious evolutionary Darwinist theory that is pure based on hypothesis. That this is how it happened. You can believe that by faith and you can only believe it by faith, sir. Or you know what? You can also believe by faith that God made all of this. And God has witnessed to it. And he supported it by giving you evidence in creation. By confirming it in an innate God consciousness. And by verifying it, even in a more superior, by Christ himself who said, Did you not hear that God created them, man and woman? Created the world. Which witness, which human witness can compare with the witness of Christ on these things? You tell me. So why you receive an inferior witness than the final witness that God's son himself said that God created these things? You cannot deny creation except you deny that Christ is not God. Your whole theology falls to the pieces. And by the way, I, I write a little article in the, in the thing. You've got to read the little article I wrote there for the church. Read it. See. When you get home, read it if you haven't read it as yet. See. We now have what I call an emerging new idolatry. A demonized Christianity. Worshipping a false god. See. Read it for yourself. You see what I'm saying in, in that particular thing. Because for the life of me, I cannot understand people who say they're Christian, who claim to be Christian, who deliberately deny the very thing the Bible says. They are fakes and frauds. They're not real. They are deceived. Make no apologies about that whatsoever. I know you're going to get off on my favorite topic here. Listen, there is not a practicing, unrepentant homosexual who has eternal life in him. I want to repeat that again. There is not a practicing, unrepentant homosexual who has eternal life in him. I don't care what church he goes to. I don't care who endorses it. Paul says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, even some people in this church are offended by that kind of a statement. You know why? Because you have a false God. You have this emerging idol that you call God that you've created in your own imagination. He only exists in your mind. It's a new idolatry. I don't often quote Mr. Obama in favorable terms. But could I tell you something? There's not a smidgen of truth in evolution. <laughs> There's not a smidgen of truth in evolution. Fictitious and false. So the Apostle Paul is saying that not only is there the internal witness of an implanted God consciousness and innate conscience within man. There's not only the external witness of creation, but could I just quickly mention uh, two other things quickly and then we'll come to close. There's also what I call as an evidence that uh, Paul doesn't bring it up, but David brings it up in the Psalms. What is called God's providence on planet earth. The way that God has arranged things to maintain and keep his creation. You know, I am told that I don't have the same skin I had last week. You've got to let the, the, the doctor over here tell me about that one, right? No, I don't have the same skin I had last week when I came. It is constantly being replenished. That is providence. That is God maintaining. You know, there are people who can build a house but can't maintain a house. But when God builds something, he maintains it. It, it only continues because he takes a genuine care, consistent care of it. It's called providence. This universe would collapse if God just don't maintain it. So God started it. God keeps it going. It depends upon God. God is not just transcendent somewhere. He's also eminent in creation. He provides for his creatures. Now, I don't have time this morning, but if you look in Psalms 104 when you go home, you find that David deals with this magnificent truth. And David shows you gloriously how God provides for his creatures and how even God provides for the vegetation. He, God, does it. You remember what our Lord said? You worry so much. You've got so much anxiety. We're going to eat tomorrow. We're going to drink tomorrow. We're going to put on. Party is coming up, birthday is coming up, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm so, you're pulling out your hair. He said, listen, you ever see a sparrow cry yet? You know, he, he, does he put anything in barns? But I provide for the sparrow. You look at the lily there. You ever see anything clothed? You, you can dress like a lily. <laughs> you can make clothing like a lily. <laughs> Lord, but I, I clothe them. So if I do that for them. Should I not do it for you? If I take care of the less, I'll take care of the greater. That's what he's saying. What's he saying? Providence. I take care. So does this matter? And, and then the other thing I like to point out very quickly is this. The third external proof is what I call history. The whole of human history has been and is orchestrated by a divine providence. Did you hear what I said? No, here I have a problem with Christians who say they believe in the sovereignty of God. But they have a problem with history. It is so contradictory. See? God has ordered 
history has gone. And you will discover in the end that the way history has gone, it has been the best way it could be. Because God is not, God is not only great, he's good. You'll discover that. As a matter of fact, could I give you a little secret? If you go to Genesis 1 to 11 and read those chapters, you will see that the entire history of the world is already stated how it will be. Read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. He has already stated what will happen in history. In the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis. But for those of you who want a closer study of history, go to Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, and Daniel 11. And you see that God has already told you exactly how it will happen and where it will end. History. The hand of God is in history. Now I know what some of you are sitting there, but pastor, there have been so many atrocities in history. I know that. But listen, they could have been worse. God has restrained man's evil and man's sin. In spite of all the evil, God has made sure that his goodness still prevails. You know, this might seem silly to say this. But you know, I am so thankful that I was born in Barbados. Not because I am a, full of pride of Barbados. I can live anywhere. But that's where I found the Lord. What if I was born somewhere, another place in the world? Where would I be today? I am saying to you, you have to see that God controls history. And you ought to understand the hand of God in your life. See, You are not saved by accident. You're not. Every one of us, when we look back at our lives and our salvation... Will give credit to one person only. And that person is God. God. History. And that reveals. Him. Even in history. Now the apostle Paul said. That all of these things constitute revelation. That God has revealed it. This is the unfolding of things. That's how Paul reveals it. And then the next question. That we will answer next week is this. Well if all of this is true pastor. How did man find himself so distant from God? And Paul will, will explain to you why it has happened. And could I give you a secret? It is all about intellectual pride. Their foolish hearts were darkened. In their vain imaginations. See? In their vain speculations. In their pride. In their ego. See? They went beyond revelation. And found themselves... What they thought was light has now engulfed them in a darkness they don't know how to get out. See? And Paul will explain very precisely how that has happened. I'm going to stop here and I'll pick up this uh, next time. And we will continue our study on this matter of man's guilt and inexcusability before God. Let me just say this in closing this morning. I don't know who you are. I might know you by seeing you. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what you're saying in your mind right now. I don't even know that if you were here while I was preaching. I don't even know if you heard a single thing I said. See? I don't even know what your attitude is. But I can say one thing about you if you're not a Christian this morning. Madam, sir, the secret about you is this. Is that you're a rebel.
you want to live your life, go your own way, do your own thing, and you don't want anybody, including God, telling you what to do with your... As, as, the, as the politicians say, a woman's body is her body, not your body. The Bible said the body belongs to the Lord. See, see. No, you don't own your body. See. Read it in the scriptures. See. But that's you. But the plain fact is this. In spite of that, I can assert here without any fear of contradiction or equivocation that you are guilty before God, you are inexcusable before God, and you are a rebel against God. You know there's a God. You know right from wrong. I don't have to tell you right from wrong. You see the guy you slept with last night? You know what you did was wrong. And you felt so guilty about that. So very, very guilty. But you know what? You, you, you squashed it. You just squashed it. You, you came in here just to salve your conscience this morning. You see that, 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 that pornography you t- turned on over the weekend and you were watching and hiding and then blip, you, you turned it on. Listen, you, you know why you, when somebody passed by, you hit it? Because guilt hit you. See, see. No question about it. You know right from wrong. See, see that book you're reading? You know that it's wrong because when you're reading it, you're wishing that nobody will see it. And that's why you hide it under the bed. Nobody will find it. See? Or you lock it up in your suitcase. See? Nobody will find it. You are guilty before God and you better get your life right with God. See? The reason why Paul does all of this, by the way, is that then after he's lambasted man, he said, now let me tell you about the gospel. He gives hope. He brings you to this, 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 I don't want to say dead end. He brings you to this crisis in your life. This sign, as it were, this, this, this traffic sign, as it were. And you have a choice to make. Will you continue on that way or will you turn, turn? It's a choice you have to make. But I'm so thankful that after God has condemned me so viciously. He then says to me, whosoever will, make up. Do you know a God like that, friend? Do you ever know of a God like that that is willing to figure you? He knows you're guilty. He condemned you for being guilty. And then he turned around for you and said, listen, well, you know what? I'm willing to pardon you and give you a new life and a new start. See? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the patience of those who sat and listened. We pray that the logic of scripture must have been, might have been so convincing this morning that no one leaves this church without saying, Aha, it is true. It is true. Oh Lord, we just thank you that you've given us a treasure that is beyond value. It cannot be measured in silver or gold or diamonds or titanium, or any other precious metal, or material, or matter. That is your word. Your word. Oh Lord, help us to treasure it. Help us to listen to it. But above all, help us to heed it and to do it. Holy Spirit, we don't have to invoke your presence because you're here with us. You're within the believer. But we pray as we close 
that you would do that work in that person's life here this morning that needs to be done. Shake them to the very foundations of their being. Awaken in them that dead conscience that laid there leaning because of the fall, but not eradicated. Infuse new life into that dead conscience and make that person sense the need of Christ and Christ alone. We commit the service as we close into your hand. Do your work, O Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us what every man can know from these general revelations. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.